Well, good morning. My name is John Allen. Welcome to Risen Church. Uh, I am excited this morning to um, introduce our uh, guest speaker, but before I do, I want to just highlight a few things real quick and what's going on and uh, just kind of, you'll, you'll hear some more of these and like the announcements and things of that nature, but just, we are in October and in just a couple of weeks, October 30th, say October 30th. We are going to be at the KOA campground on General Booth for our church picnic. Yeah. yeah. All right. Yeah. <laughs> so it's going to be great. It's going to be a lot of fun. Again, remember, we're going to be doing that at 11 o'clock. So we're going to have a worship service at the KOA campground. So if you show up here at 9 o'clock or 11, no one will be here. So, uh, again, just to reiterate, 11 a.m. at the KOA campground off General Booth, we're going to worship together. We're going to then eat together. We're going to have some fun games together. It'll be a good time. I am looking forward to it. Um, and so, yeah, just want to throw that out there and uh, also, um, yeah, just really thankful for, we had our first weekender this weekend, uh, and so it went really well. Uh, and so some of you are here and you went through that and it was a, a fantastic time. And so I'm happy to see all of you. We will be doing another one in January. So we're planning to do that. That date will be uh to be announced the specific date, but if you missed out on it this week, um, then you, don't worry, we're going to be doing it again. Uh, we're looking forward to that. So um, I want to uh, introduce to you, though, Tanner. So Tanner, you can come on up. Um, this is Tanner Hogue. Give, give him a hand. So Pastor Tanner Hogue. So real quick, I just want to uh, say I am super excited about introducing Tanner to you and his wife, Samantha, also. So they are going to be planting a church in Norfolk. So, yeah. So Tanner is being sent from or commissioned by Mercy Hill, who was, I think, one, were they the first church plant? For the second. Oh, hey. The second church plant from uh, the Summit Church, which is the church that sent us here. So the church that commissioned us to Virginia Beach commissioned another church to Greensboro, and they are now planting a church in Norfolk. So I am excited about that and their heart for our region, and so we just want to lift them up in prayer and support, and so we're really thankful for them. And I am excited to hear from his heart this morning and what the Lord has laid on his heart. Um, and so, yeah, without uh, further ado, I will hand it over to you. Awesome. Thanks, bro. How y'all doing? Not being You're good. That was awesome. Hey, I'm glad to be here. My name is Tanner, and uh, I've loved getting to know John and his family. Uh, they got to see, we have three kids, uh, four, two, and two. They got to see some of our chaos last night. Pray for us. Um, and uh, seriously, though, I want to encourage him to you. Uh, he is not paying me to do this. Um, Y'all, some people, I told him this last night, some people, you know, this is not a, this is not a bad thing. Like, when you talk to some pastors, they have stories about what their organization is doing or just like cool stuff going on anytime you talk to John he's talking about people he's telling me stories of life change he's like I could tell you about that girl but I start crying he'd be like I, I could tell you about this person but I would start crying he loves Virginia Beach he loves the people here um, and that is not true of every pastor I'm just gonna put it like that he really is all about you guys and, and talks about you all the time so it's been a pleasure to get to know him yeah so like I said I got three kids I'm married eight years Got saved at NC State, praise the Lord, uh, when, I was, when I was 18 years old. Um, formerly a math teacher, so a lot of just kind of how I interact is just, just kind of what I learned on the, on the fly there. 
Uh, I love the Bible. Uh, I love coffee. And we're falling in love with Norfolk. For the last couple of years, we've been, we've been visiting and stuff, and we've gotten to know John. So he asked me to come teach God's Word with you guys this weekend. So I'm, I'm pumped. Yeah. We appreciate your prayers. Our church is going to be called Port City Church. Throw us on a prayer list. Uh, we are trying to see how many people we can get to come with us from our church. Uh, we are still working on that. So, yeah, we got five people right now, and uh, we're building. So, yeah, pray for us. Well, hey, I want to give you, like, the main idea of what we're going to talk about. We already heard our scripture read for this weekend. Uh, so I'm going to give you the main idea, and then we'll just start navigating through it together. Y'all ready? Y'all, the gospel church is marked by godliness with contentment. Somebody say godliness. godliness. Somebody say contentment. contentment. Somebody say godliness with contentment. That's what we're talking about, godliness with contentment. I don't know the last time you did a, a, a Google search on the meaning of the word contentment, so I got you. This is the definition. Y'all, it is a perfect condition of life in which no aid or support is needed contentment gets at you got everything you need you are good to go you are satisfied and complete i don't know about you that does not always describe my felt experience of my soul is satisfied and complete lacking in nothing can anybody else testify that they struggle to be content so if contentment is satisfaction, discontentment would be dissatisfaction, right? And when I think about my discontent, I think about it in two ways. There's micro, like minute by minute ways that this plays out, and then there's macro, big ways, okay? Micro, the best way I can convince you that I am discontent, and maybe you are too, our whole culture struggles with this, is through the media consumption statistics. These things are off the charts. You almost hear them and you're like, huh. Let me give you the most recent one I looked up, okay? The average person on the average day, touches their phone, like they're, they're swiping it, touching it, 2,600 times. I was like, that's crazy. That can't be right. Do I even breathe 2,600 times in a day? I did some quick math in my head. So I looked up the average number of pickups. How many times do you pick up your phone in a day? Right now, the average number is 58 times, okay? Now, I'm about to get real vulnerable with y'all, Risen Church. Don't judge me. Don't judge Port City Church. Don't judge the city of Norfolk based off what I'm about to tell you. Okay, I looked up my worst day in the last couple of months. I was at a, I was, it was like an airport day. Y'all know airport days are different. Okay, sometimes they're awesome. Sometimes it is the pinnacle of your discontentment is sitting there waiting. And this was one of those days. Now, I could justify it and tell you I was sermon prepping, listening to a book, taking notes. I could justify it and tell you I only spent three minutes on social media. That's a fact. But... I'm about to tell you how many times I picked up my phone. Y'all ready? 159 times in one 24-hour period. I picked up my phone. 159 times. Y'all, it's a funny example, but, but surface-level distraction tends to, to reveal under-the-surface dissatisfaction, doesn't it? We tend to be distracted here because we're dissatisfied here. And dissatisfaction is the, real, is the, is the root of discontentment. And that's just the micro, right? That's just minute by minute. That's just day to day. That ain't even talking about macro. That ain't even talking about daydreams. That ain't even talking about what if I, I got to get this job or this promotion or my kids got to get this old or how many times we check Zillow or whatever it is, right? That's kind of the macro. I got to have this next phase to be content. If we're honest, discontentment 
feels more like our normal, right? It feels like contentment almost is a pipe dream. That ain't going to happen. Not on earth, even if I am saved. But the writer of, of today's passage is a guy named Paul, and, and he doesn't want us leaving thinking discontentment is our reality and contentment is a pipe dream. I think it's possible for us in Christ Jesus. It really is, and he wants it for us. So what I want to do is break down what, what was bothering Paul so much, okay? So just some quick context, because I know you all are not in First Timothy. Basically, what would happen was Paul would start a church. He'd come and teach about Jesus, boop, 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 and then he would get some leaders, and then he would bounce, okay? He doesn't have Instagram, so he would get a letter. This is what's happening at the place you just left, and he'd be like, what? And he would come back and help them understand I think we missed something. Let me break it down for you one more time. Does that make sense? So he would hear how they were living out the truth of the gospel based on what he taught them, and then he would check in with them. So he left his main man, Timothy, there. So the letter's written to Timothy, but he's in a place called Ephesus, right? There's another book called Ephesians. Paul started that church. He was there three years. He hears what's going down. He's like, Timothy, we got a problem. There's two problems in, in Ephesus at this time, and this helps shape where we're at in the letter. Basically, the leaders were getting off, and the people were getting off. And that kind of makes sense. If the leaders get off, the people get off. And so the main way they were getting off, he starts to tackle in chapter 6, is there's a lot of division. But then he says in our passage here today, the, the root of the issue with these leaders is that they imagined godliness was a means of gain. Godliness is a means to material gain, was the main issue with the teachers in Ephesus. And Paul was like, Timothy, let's talk about it, because that can't be you or this thing is over. So what I want to do is I got three points for you, and we're going to break this thing down slowly. The first one is about godliness. The second one is about contentment. And then we're going to have a point about godliness with contentment. So point number one, godliness, the destination. Godliness is the destination of the Christian life. The Bible said this, if anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. So basically what Paul is trying to do, he's like, let, let me break it down for you, okay? All of this is about godliness, okay? Godliness. We need to talk about that for a second because I want to I wanna double click on what do we think of when we hear that term. When I talk to people about godliness, generally what they, they regurgitate is some form of character. Lack of doing bad. I do good. I avoid bad. Don't say this. I do say this. It's just kind of like a cleanliness. For Paul, his view of godliness was much bigger than that. For Paul, godliness was about the direction you're headed, it, not just the, the, the boat itself, but where's the boat going? Does that make sense? It's where are we going, not just what boat are we on. The word godliness means God-likeness. It means reverence for God. It means being shaped by God in every sphere of life. So when Paul came in and taught you about following Jesus, he wasn't just trying to... Uh, he wasn't just trying to give you a, a way to be made right with God, but not impact where you're going in your life. He's not like looking at a ship going the wrong way and saying, just change the ship and let it keep going the wrong way. He's like, no, no, no. New ship, new engine, new sails, new everything, and give them a compass and let them know where north is. So his view was not just change the boat, but tell them where to go. I tell people all the time, my favorite view of salvation is not that, that we're given some ticket out of a bad future, right? It is not, the salvation is not a ticket out of hell. It is more like you can't hardly see nothing, and then somebody hands you 
the freshest pair of glasses you've ever seen. And when you put it on, it's like, dude, what is the point of being given the glasses? Not so you could say you've got them, but so you can live better in reality. You're not running into walls no more. You're good at sports again. You can pass a test. The point of the glasses is to change your reality, not to say that you own them, right? So when Paul came and he taught you about Jesus, he didn't think he was giving you a ticket. He thought he was giving you some glasses. One fourth century theologian said, salvation is like being handed a compass and knowing where north is for the first time. No more aimless, just walking around. I don't know why I'm here or what I'm doing. No more disorientation. For Paul, godliness is about orientation. Uh, many of y'all are familiar with that song that is popular right now, I Thank God. Okay, This is what they say. I tried with all my might, but I just can't win the fight. I'm slowly drifting, a vagabond. But just when I ran out of road, I met a man I didn't know, and he told me that I was not alone. He picked me up, turned me around, placed my feet on solid ground. I thank the Master. I thank the Savior because you healed my heart. You changed my name forever free. I'm not the same. I thank the Master. I thank the Savior. I thank God. The point of the song is reality gets changed when you meet Jesus. We're not going the same direction with the clean slate. Everything is different. Everything is new. It's not about the clean slate. It's about where we're going now. Y'all, God's goal for your life is to change your life. It's to live life with you every second of the day. That's why he made you, was to know you and live life with you. Is he after character for character's sake? So you could say you got a clean boat? Kind of. But he's more after the right character headed in the right direction direction and godliness is the destination of the Christian life. One of my uh, good friends, he says, there's a big difference between uh, striving for acceptance by God and trying to live life with God, like trying to live with him. God is not just after a cross-purchased life, but a cross-shaped life. One where the cross doesn't just save you from your sins, but it directs your next step. One where we, we, we don't just think about where we come from, but we know now where we're going. And I pray that, you know, Jesus, I mean, he said, pick up your cross daily and follow me. And my prayer for us, Risen Church, is that we would look back one day and see thousands of days where we chose to pick up our cross in millions of seconds and moments where we chose to pick it up. We look back and we just lived a cross-shaped life. And we're not going to be saved because we did that. It's because we got saved that we want to and are able to do that. That is godliness. That's the good news. If you imagine like a fleet of boats just kind of crashing into each other in a harbor and it's just, it's just bad. They're all just kind of discombobulated and there's fire. It's, it's not good. It's almost like Paul's view of a church is that something happens out north. Every boat gets a, a north compass for the first time. There's a signal and they all turn, get aligned, and start going. So when he hears that there's something going on in Ephesus, they got some teachers who are imagining that godliness is a means of gain. He's like, hmm, what? He's like, I was with y'all three years? I gave y'all a compass. He's looking back at what he taught them. Acts chapter 20 says that he taught them the whole counsel of God, all of it. And some people are like, what does that even mean? But he taught them all of it. Whatever all of it is, he taught it all to them. And he's like, I know I didn't teach y'all that. I wasn't with y'all three years giving you a list of behavior modification. I was making sure you understood who you are in him and where you're going. And what I'm hearing, this ain't good. 
So if you really think about what Paul is doing in every letter, he is really making sure, based on the situation he's being presented with, does that church understand where North is? It doesn't seem like it, and we're all sinners, and we get disoriented, so the Christian life is constant reorientation to reality as God sees it. So I'll give you an example. Uh, one of the most um, famous passages on humility comes from Philippians chapter 2. Well, the context of that is in Philippi, they were like, like brothers and sisters, like my little kids fighting over everything. Yesterday, my kids got in a fight because you said, you're the best sister I've ever seen. I'm not the best sister. I'm a good sister. She didn't understand the word best and was offended, and they started fighting. You see what I'm saying? That's what they were doing in Philippi. And they write Paul, and Paul drops his gospel company. He's just, Paul is just the first century gospel navigator. Like, he just was on the sea headed north, and you would bring him a problem. He ain't special. He just had the compass, baby. And he would throw it on the table, and he would hear what's going on, and then he would write stuff like this. Oh, y'all arguing? Check this out. Let each of you... Look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Translation, the gospel compass is telling me, y'all need to humble yourself. If he was God and came to us, y'all can stop arguing about the word best. Let's, let's get after what really matters, and let's go after the cross. What are y'all doing? So that's all Paul is doing in every letter, in every situation. He explains the gospel to people. He drops it on the table and reinterprets the situation they're in. Because you could be in different spots in the water, and no matter where you are today, you might, your boat might be in a different spot than me, but north is north, right? And the cross is the cross, and it directs where we're going, and it might be hard, and it might have certain implications and certain costs that comes with it, but north is north for all of us, for us collectively and for us individually. So the question is, are we, are we godly? Are we headed towards the cross? Or are we just sitting on a boat making sure it's clean? Are we more, are we, when we come to gather and hear God's word, when we go to group, when we do the different things in the Christian life, are we coming hearing, am I going to hear anything I got to clean up? Or are we hearing, God, orient my reality? tell me where north is. Here's what I got. Here's the situation I'm in. Now tell me what to do. Help me. Help me see what I got to do. Tell me where to go. I need you. What is godliness now, Lord? I fear you. I trust you. Help me. Show me the compass once again. Or are we just more interested in, I didn't hear anything I'm doing wrong, so I ain't got nothing to do. I didn't say nothing bad. I ain't do nothing. Leave me alone. Who cares if I'm going north? I ain't kill nobody. You know, we all, we all been there, right? We all been there. But yeah, we should come saying, God, reorient me. So that's point number one. Point number two, contentment is the essential companion. The Bible said this, talking about those leaders, among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. Godliness with contentment is great gain. We're going to talk about contentment for a few minutes. You see, at the time this was written, the Greeks actually had a high value on contentment. Uh, you, could, you could make the argument, it's godliness that produces contentment and even makes it possible. It's me heading north that even makes contentment possible, but the Greeks valued it too. So in some sense, you cannot be a Christian and still 
be content at some level, right? You cannot be a materialist. You can be detached from stuff, and there's, there's value in that. There's simplicity there. I think that's great. There's Eastern, Eastern spirituality is really into uh, contentment, minimalism. That stuff is really good. But Paul's view of contentment is bigger than not being attached to stuff. His view is bigger than that. Y'all, contentment alone isn't great gain. It's godliness with contentment that is great gain. So there's something about that pairing that is so important. We've got to keep those together. The text said, with food and clothing, we will be content. Knowing what God is calling us to do and having our needs met, that's all I got. That's all I need. Tell me where to go. Give me a full stomach. Give me some clothes, and I'm good. There's one other passage that I think would really inform this conversation from Philippians chapter 4. Some of y'all know it about contentment. We're going to read it real quick. Paul wrote what I'm about to read you from prison. So just keep that in mind, okay? Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Somebody say, whatever situation. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Y'all, we got to hear this today. Contentment does not come through the changing of circumstances. It doesn't. It does not come through changing where your feet are. It comes through changing your heart. Circumstances changing does not bring contentment. Contentment can be found in the midst of any situation, Paul says. So where does it come from? The root of contentment is not willpower. It's union with Jesus. Y'all, a lot of uh, contentment literature that is not attached to Christ, it really focuses on you breaking chains of attachment to stuff, which is not bad. That is your willpower. That's not a bad thing. Paul was not aiming against stuff. He was aiming for Jesus. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So he goes to Jesus and gets strong. His grace is the source of the contentment, not Paul's willpower. Paul doesn't leave you thinking, I got I to gotta pick 100 things when I go home to get rid of, even though that might be an application for you, okay? Might be a great application. But he doesn't leave you thinking, what do I need to get rid of? He leaves you thinking, do I know Jesus like Paul does? He leaves you thinking, y'all see this fly on my head? <laughs> Few of y'all were starting to look at me funny. I was like, ah, think it's the fly. Think it's the fly. What if I did it? What if just that one? I didn't. I didn't. It'll be bad. Okay, so Paul leaves us thinking, do I know Jesus like Paul does? He doesn't leave us thinking, I got to get good at something, he, he leaves you thinking, I got I to gotta know Jesus more. So if that's how we get contentment, what does it look like? If it's not necessarily detachment, what is it? The fruit of contentment is not detachment, it's devotion. He's not aiming for detachment, he's aiming for Jesus, then he gets united to him, and from that being united, he is devoted. He's not aiming to say, it's almost like the Greeks kind of treated it like a brand on their Twitter handle. I am content. Like, I don't need stuff. Paul is not trying to flex that he doesn't need stuff. He's trying to say, I love Jesus, man. I'm attached to him in this prison cell. I'm attached to him anywhere. So he's going to basically put the question to us of, where does God have you and are you content there? 
Are you rich? Are you poor? Are you content? Is your situation easy? Are you content? Is your situation hard? Are you content? To the outside world, this sometimes will look like detachment, but that, that, that's not really the point. The point is, is it's our union with Jesus that is leading to devotion. You could be in a hut and not be content, or you could be in a castle and not be content. We know this all too well. Our circumstances don't make us content because circumstances can't satisfy. Contentment is about satisfaction. There's nothing we can put ourselves in that will satisfy us. There's only a person we can put ourselves in. So the question we're left with is, are we abiding in Jesus? Because if we're not, we will seek that kind of satisfaction somewhere else, won't we? Every time. That's why I think the conversation quickly turns to love of money like it did. Check these verses out. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Y'all, this is not a money sermon. I'm going to talk about this for like two minutes. I think when you guys go home, hopefully every Sunday you're reading God's word after it gets preached and you're just breaking it down for yourself and like, God, what do you have for me? And you're really sitting under the weight of that. Um, and you wrestle with these verbs, love of money, craving, desiring, and it says it leads to all kinds of evils. It looks a million different ways. It's not like that person is sitting daydreaming of a pile of money. You know what I mean? Like this could play out a million different ways. And the best way I could think to, to illustrate what I think the Bible has to say about loving money, not having it, loving money, not having it. The Bible's not anti-having something. It's anti-loving the money. Okay? The enemy is loving it, not having it. Um, you know, Jesus says you can't have two masters, right? He says you can't, you can't love God and money. You gotta, basically, you've got to pick one. I recently read the book Treasure Island. Anybody? Okay, how about this one? Muppet Treasure Island. Anybody seen that years back? It's a, it's, a, it's a really good movie. Great book written in the 1800s. I'm about to ruin it for you, so that's your fault, not mine. Um, basically, from the beginning of the book, they're going to this island with treasure on it. That's it. And they need to build this crew. And it's like a few kind of like, for lack of better words, non-pirate sailors uh, know where it is and they have the map. But then they get a crew full of pirates. Okay. And so basically what you could tell from about page 50 is uh, this guy, Long John Silver, who was the cook. Okay. Uh, He's going to take over. I mean, it's just like it's a matter of time. Like, you can call yourself captain, but everybody going to follow that guy because he knows what he's doing. And the point from about page 10 is you start feeling we got a mutiny in the making here. We got a captain by title, but a captain by, like, actual everybody's going to follow. And a little bit, that's kind of what Paul, the Bible, Jesus, he j they just want us to get to a place where your heart can acknowledge when we got a mutiny in the making and be very careful and do everything you got to do to kill the one captain before it kills the one you think you got. Does that make sense? The best way I can put it is falling in love with something other than Jesus. It's just a mutiny in the making for the believer. It will displace him. That's just the way it works. It says many have pierced themselves, and he's got names. Read the New Testament. It's like, y'all remember this dude? Y'all remember this dude? He's like, where are they at now? And he's like, they fell in love with the present world. That's what they did. The mutiny took over. So as you're looking through it today, man, just, just put your heart before the Lord. Don't have nothing to hide. Don't have nothing to hide. Point number three, godliness with contentment, the great gain. 
Let's go back to Paul's argument of what's bothering him so much about this situation right here, okay? This is what he said. Among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain, but godliness with contentment is great gain. He's kind of like, imagine that. These guys think that godliness is a means of gain. These these guys, we got to get them. The contagion in the water in Ephesus was not that there was a group saying, get God out of the picture, right? We got we to catch that. They're not saying, get rid of godliness. They're saying, leverage godliness for gain. Are y'all tracking with that? So often in the Christian life, the enemy is not an anti-Christian life. It's a Christian twisted one. <laughs> it's like, give me the ethic, give me the boat, I'll clean the boat, but give me a different north. I just want a new compass. I'll do the stuff, but I... <laughs> Can we make it a means to what I want, you know? And it's subtle and it happens, uh, but we're not talking about getting rid of godliness is what they're saying. Like, let's, we're still going to do the same stuff, but different north. And Paul's like, nah, godliness with contentment is great gain. Somebody say is. Godliness with, like, a lot of times we can paint godliness will lead to gain, heaven type stuff. But he's saying godliness with, with contentment is gain right now. Is, is, is. And sometimes we just got to sit under the weight of that, of like, God, I don't know how else to say it. Like, we should go to God for gain now. You know what I mean? Like, godliness with contentment is great gain. God is the prize of the Christian life here and now where you are. Like a satisfactory feast that says, what else could I need is getting offered anything else. And you're like, I'm good. I don't need it. Y'all ever had that where you're like eating something, somebody offers you something? Well, I have kids, and this is, nobody told me this would happen. When you have kids, okay? My daughter, she has this ability to put something in her mouth. Could be good. Could be something great. Filet mignon, don't matter what it is. And by the time she has spit it out and offers it to me, it looks like she went backstage, handed it to a bird. Bird went and took it, dumped it in that ocean over there. A couple frogs ribbed it out. The bird got it back, brought it to my daughter, and then she said, Daddy. And I'm like, you know what? I'm good. I'm good. Appreciate you, though. Thank you. God bless you. Thank you. Put it in the napkin. Put it in the napkin. Put it in the napkin. Um, that, that contentment is like, contentment is, I'm good. I'm good. Don't need it. I'm good. You know, when, when offered the different compass, when offered the different destination, we're just, we're fine. We're good. It's verses like this from Psalm 73. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. That's contentment. And the Psalms are loaded with verses like that. And for a few minutes, I want to deep dive on contentment and really the two ways I think we can mishear what, it, what, what this conversation is uh, because I want us all to have the great gain of godliness with contentment, okay? So we're going to sit under a couple, a deep dive of contentment real quick, and then we'll, we'll, we'll uh, move towards concluding. So y'all, a lot of people, when they hear contentment, what they're hearing is just chill out, dial back ambition, dial back drive, dial back like going hard, just chill out don't want anything. That's contentment. And so what can happen is somebody with a more, how do you say, chill demeanor is like, oh, I'm content. Just by, look at me. I don't want anything. I'm content. I can go with the flow, you know. And then the people who are super driven can feel shameful because they're like, is there just something, is this, like, what is spiritual in this? And what, like me, I'm the problem, right? And so it can cause a bit of a like, What's going on here? So I want to approach both of those because I think they're both wrong. Wiring and how you are, like your, your temperament is not the issue today. It's our hearts, right? 
So I want to push past that just a little bit. First, contentment is not a resignation from life. It's not a deadening of appetites. It's a satisfaction of appetites. It's about satisfaction in Christ no matter where your feet are. So we think of a content person, we shouldn't think laziness. We should think like satisfied. We should think uh, somebody who's so united to Jesus. And so in a little bit, I mean, we got to keep in mind, Paul wrote this from prison because he was so living for Jesus, so going hard, so doing big stuff that he got arrested. And then he gets arrested and put in a jail, and he's so dialed in with the kingdom of heaven that he leads the jailer to Christ while singing a hymn, okay? So we can't say it means have no, like, drive, right? Paul was super driven. Paul wasn't checking out on life. Contentment doesn't remove you from chasing after big things. It redeems your motives, your power, and your methods of chasing those things that you're chasing. You could say it like this. Contentment doesn't diminish ambition. It redeems it. It redeems the, the why and the how of what we're chasing. So if we're chill, like in disposition here today, we can't, we can't assume we're content just because we're naturally chill, right? What if, if we did a, a deep dive in our lives and, and what's going on, what if the kingdom of heaven is not pushing us to big risks and, and hopping on planes and wanting to do things or share the gospel with people or, or put ourselves out there? What if that is actually closer to like complacency than it is contentment? Guys, we should be burdened by lostness, brokenness, pain. We should be hurt. And it should drive us to want to do something, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, strength, and your neighbor as yourself. That is not complacency. So we got to be careful that we don't assume uh, that maybe our disposition puts us in a spiritual category that it doesn't. Does that make sense? Okay. Now let me talk to the hustlers. Uh, listen. Don't beat yourself up just because you go hard. Paul went harder than you and me, I promise. But he did it with a layer of contentment under the surface of everything he did. And one of the biggest ways I, I can see this in his life, and I just I think contentment fits in our context, is you can live with big risks and, take, and doing those things, but when you get stopped, you can stop on a dime in your present. I think one of the biggest ways we should see contentment is just being unbelievably present to the moment just unreal dialed in locked in no matter where we're at we're not somewhere else we're right here and for me that's the biggest issue i'm not always dialed into the moment but jesus is in each moment he's there he's got something for you the compass is directing you he's there discontent people are often distracted people that's why i'm picking up my phone 159 times Okay? But hear me today, church. If we can't find contentment where we're at, we won't find it anywhere. Contentment isn't over there. It's right here. I'll be content when... No, you won't. I'll, it'll happen when I... No, it don't work like that. Contentment is right here or it ain't anywhere. It's kind of like... I, I thought about it like this. Discontentment and contentment... It, discontentment is like a cloak, okay? It's like a, imagine a cloak. I don't know what a cloak is. It's a fancy word for like, you know, a cloak. Uh, it's, a, it's like whatever your contextual situation is in life, discontentment can fit itself to your frame. And we can get it in our heads, just change the situation, and I get out the cloak. So we go, and we get out, and guess what it does? It might take five seconds. It might take five minutes. might take five days. might take five weeks. But it just, and refits. And you discontent all over again. 
That's just kind of how it works. The situation ain't going to do it. But y'all, contentment can also be that cloak. I think many times in situations like this, we, we think uh, we need a contentment coach. We don't need a contentment coach. We need a contentment cloak that just shapes itself to us. That's what Christ wants to be for you. Jesus is not your contentment coach. He is your contentment cloak. We just got to put him on. He ain't here to coach you. He's here to cloak you. The great gain is in godliness with contentment. There's nothing else we need. These false teachers were teaching that godliness was a means of gain. So today, our personalities don't need to change, but our hearts do. God is inviting us to godliness with contentment. Here's our application for today. Let us learn godliness with contentment. Somebody say learn. Paul said in Philippians 4, he said, I have learned the secret. Y'all, this is a secret. Not everybody knows secrets. Y'all know that, right? This is not a, this is not a, a, a salvation. You're, you're, nothing is on the line being held over you like you better get there. This is an invitation from a God, a father who loves you, not a coach who is going to cut you. If you are in Christ, you are being invited to learn contentment. Some of us, we got to learn the grace of learning, not earning. Once you're in, you didn't earn your way in, you got loved in. And once you're in, if you can develop the inward grace by God's Spirit through the Word to learn and not earn, invited, not commanded, if, if the narrative can shift, we can learn some things that right now we shame ourselves for not living up to. We measure ourselves to something and we feel like we failed and then we go back and coach ourselves. But Jesus is like, no, 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 no. He's not on the other side of your discontentment saying, get here. He is the path. He is the one who wants to meet you where you're at. Because, y'all, Paul didn't say, I can make myself content. He said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Paul is not the, the secret sauce. Jesus is. And so, so what left to ourselves, friend, do we not choose discontent every time? We are so distracted, so micro-discontent, macro-discontent, so dissatisfied, so settling for the, the, I mean, the compasses I choose on a daily basis are make people like me, be well thought of, and do something that in the future will make people like you or make you well thought of. And that might look like self-preservation or self-advancement, but I will do it. That tends to be my compass. I'm not aiming for the cross. Like when you really, really, really break those things down. And the amazing good news of the gospel is that Christ died for the most discontent version of you. And that's true if you're not a believer here or you are a believer. I think sometimes we're like, yeah, I was allowed to be discontent before I was a believer. But now that I am, I shouldn't be here. So this is the, I should shame myself for this. But what Christ's word to us is, I died for all of your sin. All of it. And it's an invitation to lay that down and to choose his grace once again. He is the path to contentment. He's inviting you on a journey. Psalm 23, 1, what's it say? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Other translations say, I have everything I need. And I think God wants that to be your reality. He's not demanding that reality of you. He's inviting you into having that reality. So there are two types of people in the room I want to talk to for just a couple of minutes. If you are not a believer here today, if you do not follow Jesus, 
I just want to, I just want you to hear just plain as day, contentment can't be found anywhere else than Jesus. For so many people, when they look back on their story of how they came to faith in Jesus, it kind of started, this is my story, other people have this kind of story. It starts with just, for the best way I could put it, just exhaustion. I am so tired of living the way I'm living. For me, it was on a college campus, the way that millions of people do that. And I just was so tired. I didn't have the spiritual words yet, but when I met a dude that wasn't, living the way I was living, I was like, bro, when I look at you, I'm tired of the way I'm living. And it just starts with this exhaustion of going to things that can't satisfy. So if you're here today and you don't follow Jesus and you're just tired and exhausted of running to things to fill you that can't fill you, join the club. We've all done that. And what's so amazing about the God that made you is that when you start getting hungry to be satisfied by that which made you, then the reality is going to come in, on what basis should I have access to that? And the answer is you shouldn't. And you have no way out of your discontent. You are trapped because we are complicit in our choosing of the wrong compass. We are guilty before a holy God who made us. And that is not how he made us to live, but we've chosen it a million times over. And the gospel is that Jesus, who lived perfectly north every second of his life, he looked back and no other boats were near. Like they were all just destroying themselves. That's all of us. And he made it the whole way. And the gospel is that he got the victory and he gives it up to give it to everyone who puts trust in him. He lived the perfect life and he laid it all down so that we could find our contentment in him. So if you're not a believer, you could put your trust in him today. I encourage you, do not walk out of here. Pastor John was just talking about that. We pray all y'all would leave with, with Jesus as your king. To the believer... Can we dream for just a second of what it would look like if all of us had godliness with contentment? What would that do for Virginia Beach? What would that do for your workplace, for our neighborhoods, for this city? You see, godliness with contentment starts as your game, but it can become somebody else's game. Because here's what happens, okay? When you start living like, think about it like this. Like, we're, we're all just kind of living to win a game. The content person in Christ gets to play like they've already won. The content person gets to enter spaces and not need things other people need. This is what happened in my life at 18 years old. I watched a guy living life in a way I'd never seen it. He went out on a basketball court. And he wasn't just trying to get wins. He was trying to make friends. He wasn't stacking teams. He was just having conversations. I'm like, bro, you're good at ball. Why do you not need this the way I need it? And it blew my mind. I was like, you're like an alien from outer space. What 18-year-old lives like you? And that's the opportunity we have is to be a countercultural group of aliens who enter spaces and cannot have the last word, cannot control the narrative, can be misthought of, can be misunderstood, can be gossiped about and not stabbed back. We can enter spaces and take losses and keep our mouth shut and do things. Lord, help me with that one. Help me to not need that one still, the controlling of the narrative. That's, that's a hard one. But the point is the gospel can transform us from living for contentment to living from it. We can live like we've won, and now when I play, I can play. I don't need to win, but I can help you win. And they're going to go, why don't you need to win? You go, I already did, baby. Do you want to hear the news? Come here. Come on. Come on. You can start playing in such a way, people are going to go, 
what direction is he headed? And you just go, I'm going north. How do you know that's north? Because he made me, he said as it is, and he saved me, and he invited me with him. You want to come? So what can happen is when you start living into your contentment and living for godliness with contentment, people are going to be like, huh, you are an alien. Explain it to me. And that is the greatest day of your life because you get to tell them something simple, which is I'm not the sauce. Jesus is. But do you want to come? And it can change the city, man. It really can. It really, really, really can. So I don't know what your experience is today. If contentment is your experience, you got nothing to do when you leave here, okay? But if it's not, which is still not for me, even though I've preached this a couple of times, right? Because knowing truth is not the same as living truth. This can resonate with us and us still have work to do, right? It's one thing when the truth uh, resides with you, but does it abide in you? Like it can resonate with you, that's great, but that doesn't change you. We got, a, we got some things to walk in. We got some learning to do. Read the Bible, pray the Psalms. Pray the Psalms, pray the Psalms, pray them, pray them, pray them, pray them until you're sick of praying them, then do it some more. Read books on spiritual practices. Find some old biographies of people who've lived stuff and tried stuff and did things. You're like, let me try that. And when it don't work, don't do it. But if it's helpful to your walk, do it. I stumbled across this psalm the other day. I want to close just reading this. And um, Psalm 116, 7 and 9 says this. Return, O my soul, to your rest. For the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. For you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. Love how the psalmist is speaking to his soul and saying, soul rest, now feet get to walking. We're not talking about checking out on life. We're talking about reality being new because your soul is at rest. Contentment is a daily battle. I'm not planning a church to become content, but because I already am. But when this battle pops up, when the contentment battle pops up, we got to get to where we're not shaming ourselves, but we're hearing an invitation from the King of Kings to rest, put our soul at rest once again. May we be ones who run so hard but can sleep so good. Let's sleep. I told some people, let's sleep so good some people get saved. That's when you know That's when you know you're content. People just get saved by how you sleep. That's right. That's right. That's facts. Okay. May we be ones who can, who can be so present, take such huge huge risk, but then be so present in the mundane things. The Lord can do it. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We are walking with God until our final day comes, but we can walk as ones who've already been found, and we can play this game in a different way, and the world will take notice. Will you pray with me?